Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hey everyone, enjoying summertime. We are podcasting from the Provincetown Film Festival 2016. It's our third year here and it never, ever disappoints. Wouldn't you agree? So true. And just a shout out to Provincetown itself, the edge of America. Hollister, you reminded me yesterday that the pilgrims got to P-Town before they got to Plymouth Rock. But they were, they were so terrified by what they saw on the shores. All the Indians were on the shores, and they were so terrified they kept on going. Wow, so soon they'll be celebrating their 400th anniversary. Yeah, pretty amazing, mm-hmm. right? Our first feature film that we're going to review is Our Kind of Traitor. Why don't you come to the villa for a small party tonight? This is a small party. I need your help. Help you? What can I do? I'm a teacher. Give this to your MI6. Tell them you have a gift from the number one money launderer from the Russian Mafia. I'm so glad you chose that. Well, you know, as you all know, O'Toole picks everything. I just show up, right? <laughs> but I know you chose it because my very, very favorite, Damien, was in it. Damien Lewis from yeah. Homeland. Yeah. Well, not just Homeland. You know, he's now Billions also. And Susanna White directed, directed one our of kind the of episodes. Trader. That's right. One yeah. of the episodes of Billions. She did. You know which episode? I still haven't seen it. The pilot scared me away. Uh, <laughs> Where the f*** is Donnie was hers. Oh. And it was touted as one of the best uh, in the in the original series. But So she'd worked with Damien before. And, you know, when I remember, I think Damien Lewis's uh, ending on Homeland, where he is, um, they, it's, he's hung. He's hung, you know, a mob crowd hangs him. And uh, Carrie watches this happen in, it I must be, I think it's in Iran or somewhere in the Middle East. And I thought it was one of the most wrenching scenes I've ever seen on television of a death. And so there we were, uh, wondering at that moment in time, I'm like, why did he have to leave? Why did he have to leave? And now I recognize he had to leave because he had bigger and better things to do. Between Billions and this, unbelievable acting, didn't you think? Well, this is the first time I've seen Damian Lewis use his real English accent. I swore his voice was higher than it is in Homeland. I thought he had a very odd he's from character. Uh, no, he's British. Are you sure? I'm going to IMDb him again. I know he was born into a well-to-do family in Britain. Money has no smell as long as there's enough of it. It doesn't change color. It's still blood money. Do you know Damien Lewis was actually educated at Eton? Really? Yeah. Oh, so he's a smart boy, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I didn't recognize him. He formed him. his own theater company when he was 16. Wait, before, boy, we, get, before we get to my true love, Damien, we will talk about the fact that this movie's been waiting to come out for two years. It was finished in 2014. And the book was just written in 2010, John right. Le Carre's 22nd novel. Right. Who did? He's done so many things. A spy who came in from the cold, which became Tinker a Taylor, movie. Sailor, Sailor Spy. A Most Wanted Man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Most recently, The Night Manager. Right. The oh, super which, popular TV hello. series. Uh, actually, we, my cousin listened to our podcast on it, and he watched it and said it's the best show other than, of course, The West Wing. Um, it set the, the bar very high for yeah, this very, movie. Yeah, very, very good. Mm-hmm. Well, but they one of the reasons they think maybe they didn't put it out last year is because there were so many spy movies coming out last year. Oh. Yeah, and um, let's talk about the movie and the and the plot around it, etc. Now, it to me, this movie has an amazing plot, and there's an opening sequence that that is wrenches your gut out, 
And at the same time, then it goes to a lull where it's like, what am I here for? You see, so and you're then referring it, to the ballet scene. Well, it's not just the ballet scene. It opens up where, you know, we're clearly in Russia and there's the, the women are watching the ballet, you know, uh, you know I, I'm, I'm sure. And while the men are in the back and the head, one of the heads of the Russian mafia is turning over the money to uh, what is now going to be the front organization in finance for Russia. And but and then and then uh, we don't I don't want to tell you the plot because you should definitely should see this movie. But it, it takes us on this journey of intense buildup for the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. And then it goes to about 45 minutes where it's like, eh. And then it builds back up again, you know, when they're trying to get someone out of something. I mean, I, again, I, I, we hate to be plot spoilers here, so I don't want to go into it. I felt like this was one of those movies where, have you ever read a book where half the chapters are amazing, the other half you wish they weren't in there? Yes. I mm-hmm. felt like this was that movie, that, that the plot was really good. But that it, it just was not um, that the overall plot was very good, but there were there were lulls in this that went on for quite a long time. Well, I will give John LeCarrie this. Okay. He has managed to stay relevant mm. throughout the decades. So someone who really came to the created, forefront. He is like Tom Harris to Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. Like, where did he come up with this plot? Was what you kept thinking of with the Tom Harris novel. And I feel like he's got that same thing going. It's like, where does this come from? He definitely keeps ripping things from the Ah, headlines. So he has written from the Cold War Mm -hmm. up until graft and money laundering in Russia. And this is right up there. Um, But (sighs) the night manager really set the bar very high in terms of gloss and high energy and movement. And, you know, I'm one of these people... Wait, 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 wait. I have to interrupt you there because the night manager, keep in mind, was very different from the book. In the book, it was a cartel in Mexico. In but, in the move in the TV show, it they moved it to the Middle East to drug dealer. I mean to. But uh, I just mean in terms of a big screen product for yeah. us to consume. The night right, manager. Right, but, but the night, night manager was not his product. It's it's based on the John Le Carre book though. Right, but they changed it a lot. Well, not that much in terms of the spirit of the novel. They changed the locales, but was, he was very happy with it. I'm sure he was happy with it, but well, anyway, okay, so. Um, but I like the energy of the night manager. Absolutely. And I'm one of these people, when the Da Vinci Code came out and everybody started freaking out about Tom Hanks's hair, I thought there were certainly things about the movie that I would have liked to have seen improved. I wasn't so down on Tom Hanks's hair. I must have had a delayed reaction because when Ewan McGregor steps on the screen as the professor with the Da Vinci Code hair, I thought his character was the weakest. It must be that Hollywood image of what a professor looks like is you you have to have the Tom Hanks hair. Well, I didn't care about Tom Hanks' hair in the Da Vinci Code. I just thought he was miscast. Why did you choose me? Do you think Ewan McGregor was miscast here? No, I don't. I think he was overshadowed by Stalin. Skorsgaard, um, yeah. Who played the, um, the Russian uh, mafia king. Stop breathing, Professor. Calm. Now, also, by the way, I kept looking at him thinking, where have I seen you before? Where have I seen you before? And the part that he played was so different mm-hmm. than the parts that I've loved him in. He was in The River. Do you remember me talking to you about The River, that series? 
I haven't written it up yet, but I think The River is one of the great BBC series that are that is out there for mm-hmm. sure. And he's the star in that. Totally different. Uh, totally different. And then he was in this, and then he was also in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. The remake. Yes. And Goodwill Hunting, of oh course. My God, Goodwill He's Hunting. believable as a professor. Stellan Skorsgård, the great Swedish actor, he usually plays somebody pretty intellectual. So here it was kind of fun to see him be over oh, the top, that's tattooed, I mean. crazy. Not only Although that, he, powerful. The power in him was unleashed in a way that you never saw. You certainly never saw in Goodwill Hunting. He was riveting. He was definitely the strongest oh, performer. I think in this so. Movie. I think it was hard to to stand next to him and be seen. You know, and he was yet, so big. Another movie you saw him in, Mamma Mia. He was one of the dot, dot, dots. I Uh forgot he was in Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. Uh Colin Firth, Pierce Brosnan, Stellan Skarsgård. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was the one that was least, you could see least with her. In Mamma Mia, to me, he was the one that was like, I don't think so. I think we had to be able to rule somebody out. Now, what about Ewan McGregor's wife, played by Naomi Harris, who we know as Moneypenny from Spectre and Skyfall? They're using you. You don't even know these people. But did you think they were believable as a couple? Um, yeah, I did. I just well, they were a couple in trouble. Maybe they, they, you didn't see them as believable as a couple because it's shown that they're trying to put their marriage back together. And as the movie progresses, they find a common denominator that sort of reinvigorates their marriage. I thought they were, absolutely. Well, that did amuse me. There's nothing to spice up a troubled marriage like a little joint espionage. But I, I wasn't really buying them as a couple. Uh, I did. I did in the end. I mean, but I in the beginning. the character was very yeah. interesting. But Ewan McGregor, I wanted more oomph from him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there were two things in the movie, again, not to do any plot spoilers, but I thought it was inconsistent with his character where he was supposed to be such a good guy that Stellan Skorsgård, the Russian baddie, would trust him to deliver this information. Well, I he asks him at one point, O'Toole, why did you pick me? Mm-hmm. And his answer answered your question, and that is there was nobody else in the restaurant. It was a he funny was a moment. moment. No, but he mm-hmm. wasn't kidding. There was a moment in time where he had nowhere to go. He couldn't trust anyone around him. He's in a restaurant. He sees this British couple. He knows mm-hmm. he needs to get to, to British, uh, you know, MI5. And like a last minute punt. Yep. Yeah, and he mm. said there wasn't anyone else, so I, I just had to give it to you. And so, I think that was I think that was the answer. I think that's but why he chose throughout it. Throughout the movie, when there's many references made to you and McGregor being a man of honor and a gentleman. After he fooled around with a student, I That's bad. that's yeah. my point. I didn't find that a believable plot mm-hmm. point, and I didn't find snorting the coke at the party to go with his professorial sweatered look. Uh, I sort of liked that. It was sort of like... I wanted him to have more I think they were trying to establish that he could be a risk taker and he could go outside his own box. I think that that moment in the the party, which was surprising because it was unexpected and you didn't Mm -hmm. think his character could do that, I think they were establishing his ability to be outside the box and I think that... um, I think that... um, I think Dima, the Russian uh, mafia man, I think that he was watching him the whole time and realized, oh, okay, he is outside the box. He could maybe pull this off. Well, I think comparing it again to Night Manager. And yeah, not, you're you right. Know, they did not lay out the, the plot. The cat and yes. mouse of watching right, Tom right. Hiddleston and Dr. House go at each other is it all fun makes sense. to watch. But here, Stellan Skorsgaard is such an interesting character that Ewan McGregor's character isn't a worthy opponent yeah. to no, drive right. the energy right. of the movie. You're right. There is no yin-yang. The yang yeah. was a little lacking. Mm-hmm. Um... But there's betrayal, there's all kinds of things. 
you know, is it because she directed it? In other words, was it the direction that was off, or was it the plot? I think the character was empty. Yeah, the maybe. Ewan McGregor yeah. character. Yeah. I don't know. You know. I don't think. I don't agree that he was empty. But I think again that this was a movie that a couple of times I wouldn't have minded leaving to go to the ladies' room and come back. You know how you never leave a movie; it, you just can't because you right. can't stand that you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of times I almost said to you, "I'll be right back," you know? and you wouldn't have missed much. No. The production values were very high, yeah. and you know me; I love the international locales. Yeah. I love the themes. You know, again, so current. But it, it definitely could have used some more zing. Now, in one of the opening sequences, mm-hmm. okay, yet again, this is the fifth time I'm bringing it up this year, there's this sequence where you see it from above, a lone car driving on a really long road that has a little snow on the road for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen it in The Night Manager. We see, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, what is with that? It must be the spy coming in from the cold. Uh, it must <laughs> He's be. still uh, coming in. Whatever it is, it's like it's like, you know, ridiculous. Anyway, I was surprised though that I didn't understand why this movie was chosen for the festival. The festival to me, if there's a theme, it's usually around causes or something. There's something, you know, or emotions or I mean it's it's rare that you see a narrative film at the Provincetown Film Festival that's outside the box of there's a reason you should be seeing this other than pleasure. And they picked it, and it's not like anybody was there from the movie. So I, I did pick it as a surprise a, choice. They picked it as a spotlight film I know. on top of that. So they yep. said it's supposed to lead to discussion, now, which, you know, it's leading now also, up to right Su- now. Susanna White, who is the director, the only thing I could see that she's directed that I even heard of was Nanny McPhee Returns. Well, she's done a lot of television. She won a BAFTA for yeah. Bleak House. She's been nominated for two Emmys. Um, and the script, we should also say, is written by Hossein Amini, who received an Oscar nomination for The Wings of the Dove uh-huh. back in the 90s. Well, maybe, maybe she too. can direct for television, which is shorter. And maybe that's the problem with this movie. It's like, it just didn't flow. It did not flow from beginning to end as one entity. And maybe now that she's trying to transcend from television to movies, maybe that's going to be an issue for her. Because to keep something going with perfect flow for an hour and a half salon, it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah, I think they relied too much on the wattage power of Ewan McGregor to carry that character. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the powerful guy in it anyway. Because you know one of the actors who I found pretty riveting was the one who played Stellan Skorsgård's wife. She was not given a lot of dialogue, almost none, none. None. But she really had to emote yeah. when it was called for, and she did it. She pulled it off without words. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. You know, I, I don't know. I think she should have had more dialogue, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there should have been more from her, um, which could have, been, could have been very helpful. Now, so. you liked Damien Lewis in this? Um, well, I didn't recognize him in this. And he looked then I, very different. I mean, yeah. he still got the pursed lips, but with the red well, glasses. Well, no, he chose and... to do it in this clipped manner of speaking that showed no soul. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he's cooking this amazing dinner with all kinds of elements to it, and someone arrives to speak with him, and they say, oh, are you having people over for dinner? And he said, no, it's just for me. I like to cook. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you realize there are many layers to this man that you thought was just singularly involved in you know, getting, paying someone back and in his work in MI6. So for me, I'm not, I, you know, I, the way he chose to play the character and then at the end exposes the character to having much more depth than you thought he had personally and with a soul and a reach that's a little bit different, um, I think he played it well. I think he knows how to be different people. I thought it was an odd character. 
Well, I think he, he chose a to very, be an odd character. Yeah, I think he chose a very buttoned-up portrayal of this guy. Yeah, but I think he was supposed to be buttoned up. That's my point. And then when you see him closeted? cooking at the end, you realize there's a lot more to him than you thought. You didn't think he was supposed to be closeted? Was, no, no, I didn't see huh. that at all. Yeah. No, no his son. No, I didn't find him to be um, gay. I found him to be totally uh, single-minded towards something. But he did alter his voice. He made it higher. Uh, I don't know if it's higher. I think it was clipped. Is this all he gave you? Yeah. He told you he was a member of the Russian Mafia. And you still agreed to help him. I thought I could just hand it over and be done with it. He said that his children would be killed if I didn't. You believed him? <gasps> I could swear it's lower on Homeland. How long do you think before they find us? Depends how hard they look. I'm guessing they'll look pretty hard. Would you recommend this film or two? I, I'm not hearing that you wouldn't. I'm not hearing that you wouldn't. You know, this is one of those movies that I'd probably give it a B or a B plus. I, but I think that the plot device of having an everyman sucked into international espionage, I think Ewan McGregor's character was too ordinary mm -hmm. to hold my interest. So I definitely, having just seen The Night Manager, loved that. Um, it was a tough act to follow. Well, yeah, I mean, I think The Night Manager is one of the best shows that's been done for television, so I couldn't agree more. Now, it's coming out this weekend, which is 4th of July weekend, and I think it's really interesting because the last question I'm going to ask you about this film is, do you think it could happen? Could this plot The money laundering part? Yes. Yes, I think it's absolutely oh, real. <laughs> and in fact, in John le Carre's novel, in the book, um, what do you call it, the book Flap? In the inside of the book, I've heard that John le Carre actually includes an article from a few years ago about money laundering between Russia and London. Okay. Well, I left thinking to myself, you naive, ridiculous person, Hollister, you have no knowledge <laughs> of what's happening around you as you're blatantly walking along the streets near the financial district or whatever. It really is amazing. We need to take a look and see look around us and see what's happening. You know, I've read one user review, and I thought he said it so beautifully, that John le Carey has the courage to write books about things that you would have to be a pretty intrepid journalist <laughs> to report on. There you go. Okay, so our kind of traitor. Perfect for God Bless America Week. <laughs> so... I'm really excited to do this panel because uh, we have three writers I really admire and three writers with very different stories to tell. Once again, we are at the Provincetown Film Festival 2016, and we attended one of the best panels I've ever been to. It was super It was really, really, really good. Okay, the panel was called From Book to Film. It was moderated by Mark Harris, who worked at Entertainment Weekly before he became a writer, and the books were... Five Came Back, A Story of Hollywood and the Second World War. And... Pictures at a Revolution, Five Movies, and the Birth of the New Hollywood. Yeah, and that's the book I ordered and I want to read after I saw him. He was really, really good at, at moderating the following panel. Uh, David Ebershoff, who wrote The Danish Girl. Back in the 90s. It took 15 years for this book to become a movie. I love you because you're the only person who made sense of me. Made me possible. You know, one of the things he was asked later in the panel about that was 
um, was he obsessing about it along the way? And he had the answer of a lifetime. He said, no, I had books to write. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to get hung up on what was happening. So once I turned that book over, I just left it to happen to the people that I had turned it over to, and I never thought about it again. And they would call occasionally and keep them posted. And he said the the woman who was who was running, I don't remember recall her name, but she was very honest with him and only brought stuff to him when it was a certainty mm-hmm. rather than, oh, this person might be interested. Yeah. But But his answer was so clear. I'm a writer. I had things to write. I did not harp and dwell there. I think that's one of those great life lessons for everything, not just for writers and screenwriters and everything else. Once it's passed from you to someone else, let it go. L-I-G, let yeah. it go. Yeah. And he wrote it in such a different era. He yes. wrote it when he was very young. And before transsexuals was really a hot topic, Or transgenders. By the way. Yeah. I mean, before social media yeah, was a thing. exactly. And he had a great, great quote. He said that when your book is being adapted into a film, somebody said, how do you deal with that process? Because you know changes are going to be made. And he said it's kind of like when you sell your apartment. Um, it's not unlike when you sell your apartment, you can't complain when the new owner renovates the kitchen. And, um, and it might not be to your taste, but you right. know, it was a great analogy. He, he w- everything that came out of his mouth, I was writing it down. Okay, Lisa Genova was there, and I've seen her before. I've seen her speak a number of times, and she wrote Still Alice. Welcome, Dr. Alice Howland. I hope to convince you that by observing these baby steps into the, into, uh... Alice, where the hell were you? Went for a run. Well, I hope you enjoyed that because you completely blew our dinner plans. I need to talk to you. And she lives here on Cape Cod. And not only that, she self-published still, Alice. And to me... Also remarkable. It is remarkable Mm -hmm. that here's a self-published book that no publisher would touch, no agent would touch. But let's keep in mind that, you know, um, Harry Potter, she sent that out to 220 publishers before Mm -hmm. she got somebody to publish it. And that was Lisa Genova's first book. So she started out as a neuroscientist. That was a big career switch for her. And now she's got two more movie options from two more books. I mean, the woman is definitely a, a powerhouse. And then the last person on the on the panel was Casey Sherman, also total local. Lo- well, mm-hmm. yes, he's from from the Cape, but he wrote the finest hours, which is a movie I've seen and I'm going to be reviewing about the um, Coast Guard in Chatham in 1952 uh, during a rescue that they did on two huge uh, tankers that split in half. So it was really a rescue of four boats, and as he called it, a suicide mission yeah, for the guys uh, asked exactly. to rescue these men. You know, they're saying this is going to be the biggest storm that ever hit the East Coast. It's going to be Hurricane Strength in an hour. Exactly, and he said that everywhere he went in Hollywood to try to get this book made into a movie, they said three things. Mm -hmm. They all said no. Number one, it's a period piece, and nobody cares about period pieces. The 1950s, that's the new period piece. (laughs) By the way, you know, when you think about it, you know, there was the movie Carol last year. Mm -hmm. I think they had, what, six nominations or something. Mm -hmm. And Brooklyn Uh, took place in the 50s. Exactly. So, you know, they're crazy. Okay, that was number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, they said that it's on water, and that is very expensive to shoot, so they weren't interested. Mm -hmm. And number three... Three, it had no superhero franchise yeah. behind it. And he said, that's where they were really wrong. There was real superheroes here. Mm-hmm. This was a suicide mission where these guys went out onto the water and they really should never have come back. He's sending you out to die. In the Coast Guard, they say, you gotta go out. They don't say you gotta come back in. 
And that was so interesting because he met some of these real life rescuers, the ones obviously who are well, still alive. He met alive. the guy that the whole thing, the whole movie is done on. And his mindset was so interesting to me because even though he saved so many against the odds on a tiny little boat, the one that really stuck with him is the one man he didn't manage right. to save. Even though it was a miracle, he saved all the others. And also, like all of the World War II people of that generation, apparently he was very traumatized after that mm-hmm. night. And um, but he never wanted to talk about it. And he never wanted the book to be written. And then once it was written, he did want it to be accurate. And he had some clever stories around it. So, you know, it's funny because I have often said when I've read a book and then see the movie, the movie's always better to me because I already know nuances that come from the book that you couldn't know in an hour and a half. And I'm the other way around. Yeah. I like to see the movie Isn't first. Isn't that funny? No, yeah. I like the book mm-hmm. first. Lisa Genova did mention during this panel that in her experience, people who see the movie and haven't read the book, they don't. They don't buy the book. And she also said that men tend to read the book and women do not. No, that women tend to read the book and men tend to see the movie. Okay, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So so in her experience, she said they don't go on to buy the book. But actually, I looked it up, and she can't be right on that because her book sold another million or two copies after the movie, so All she's wrong. three yeah. of them. Their books definitely get the Hollywood yeah, boost it once it's made does. into a movie. Yeah. And Amazon even sells those special yeah. editions of the so books. So she said it, but she, you know that may be her gut feeling, but it, it, can't, it can't be accurate. And hers could be a singular thing, too, because her topic is so rough, mm-hmm. you know, Alzheimer's. Right, exactly. Um, interestingly enough, none of these three people wrote the screenplay, but they all were consultants to the movie, Uh, because they'd written the book that was behind the screenplay. All three of them seemed to get along very well with the screenwriter, Mm -hmm. had only nice things to say about the screenwriter. And and I thought that was nice because I have heard and read that many times uh, the screenwriter and the book writer don't get along, you know. And yet now all three of them are writing their own original screenplays. Exactly. Or TV pilots. Or or working on them. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting, too, Lisa Genova said she also wanted to become an actress. And in every acting class, they will tell you that you always have to act from a place of emotional honesty, even in a fictional world. And she said that's what she tried to apply to her writing as well. It's a theme we heard throughout the festival. We heard from Ang Lee as well. Uh, That's true, right? Uh, Casey had something interesting to say. He said that uh, when he looks at at the movie and at the book, but especially at the movie, the characters tell the story. I always say the characters tell the story, and even though it's a nonfiction story, you know, it's all about character development and the incredible men that performed this uh, suicide mission rescue in 1952. I just thought it was such an inspiring story, and I thought it was a slam dunk for Hollywood. Turns out that wasn't the case, and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I, uh, I was very confident that eventually this movie would get made. And he was so happy because the characters in his movie were so rich that they could tell the story in some ways even better than he could. Fear, you know, those kinds of things, you could see it on their face. And he said that Casey Affleck actually really, he felt was the standout performance in his movie and made the character much richer than he had written. And I thought that was, you know, A, really insightful of him, but B, characters do tell a story. So it's true. You have to have great characters to have a great story. I think that's true. And his next project is writing about the Boston Marathon bombers. He's also the author of uh, Boston Strong. And the movie, by the way, will be called Patriot's Day and stars Mark Wahlberg, John Goodman, and Kevin Bacon. Um, So welcome, Casey. Thank you. When we first, um, you know, saw the 
project to Hollywood. And again, I hadn't even written the book yet. We were still in the course of researching that. People would come up to me and say, it's too soon. It's too soon for this. And I understand that because um, a little bit about my background. My first book was based on the Boston Strangler case because my aunt was the last victim in that case. She was a 19-year-old girl uh, murdered in 1964. There was a film made in 1968 starring Henry Fonda and Tony Curtis. Well-done movie, completely factually inaccurate. And I would never want to bring a real-life situation, especially at the scope of the Boston Marathon bombings, give it to a filmmaker who was just going to, quote-unquote, Hollywoodize the material. And that's not what we're doing here, so I'm very proud of it. And, you know, it's funny because, to me, the standout guy on the panel, you know, was David Evershoff. Uh, you know, I just fell madly in love with every nuance of the way he sat there, the way he drank his water. He was so <laughs> humble. He was so thoughtful. I mean, I just fell madly in love with him. Okay, so um, he was talking about um, writing the story of Lily. And he said that when he writes a book, he asks himself, would anyone read this? It, I actually didn't even think it would be published. Uh, I just was a young writer trying to tell a story and I was very doubtful whether I could. Um, but I remember saying to myself, well, you know, asking the question, would anyone read this? And I, I, thankfully I answered the question that I would. And I just wrote it sort of telling myself, just tell myself the story. It's interesting how many movies have been adapted from books, but it also tends to be those movies, in my opinion, for which the actors get nominated for Oscars. So Lisa Genova writes Still Alice. Julianne Moore, after all these nominations, wins the Oscar. The Danish girl, Alicia Vikander, won the Oscar. And that was a very, probably because the characters are so rich, but that was very interesting to me, how many actors had been attached to the Danish girl over the years. Kate Blanchett, Rachel Weiss. And he said that at least one of them wanted to play the Eddie Redmayne part, right. one of the female actors. I'm, uh, I'm betting it was Kate Blanchett. See, and I thought it was Rachel Weiss. Well, remember when Kate Blanchett played Bob Dylan? No. But I, I think probably they all would have liked to have done it. You know, I can't imagine any of them would have turned it down that way. Playing the Eddie Redmayne yeah, part. Yeah, exactly. It's a big challenge. Well, I don't know why it's a big challenge. I mean, I don't know why it's a bigger challenge than Eddie faced, because it just, it mm. either at the beginning or the end of the movie, you're playing another gender. What difference yes. does it make which one well, it was? Well, Harris brought that up, you know, is it the destination gender exactly. or the gender of origin? But at least Eddie Redmayne went in the same order as Lily. Yeah, but but I don't know that that really matters because either way, somebody what would have been really interesting is if they had different people play the different roles. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I like the way they did it, and I thought he did an amazing job. Okay, now the other thing, if we go back to my new boyfriend, David Ebershoff, right? Oh. <laughs> okay, he was an editor at Random House, okay? By the way, a really, really big editor at Random House, a very sought-after and respected editor. David was, for many years, uh, executive editor at uh, Random House, where he seemingly edited half of the great novelists in the country. And he said he couldn't find an um, agent for his book, and he couldn't find anybody to publish the book. And I wanted to ask the question, although I didn't, I didn't. No offense, but why wouldn't every agent want to do your book even if it was terrible? Because, because you it would be an into Random House, which is one of the top publishing houses in the world, you know. And where is Random House? Why wouldn't they publish your book? Didn't they see the proposal? I, it know. goes to show how tough it I is know, to break into the publishing world and the acting world. Now, um, 
Lisa Genova said something very interesting. She said she wrote the book because her grandmother had Alzheimer's and she could have sympathy for her grandmother, but what she needed was empathy. She needed to understand what her grandmother was going through. My grandmother had Alzheimer's and I am a neuroscientist, so I figured I'd learn everything I could about Alzheimer's so we could better take care of her and understand what she's going through. And it helped to a point. Like I learned, We learned how to be good caregivers, but I didn't know how to... I could get to a place of sympathy for her, but I couldn't get to empathy. I couldn't feel with her. I could only feel for her. I just didn't understand what was going on. Everything I read was from the perspective of an outsider. So it was clinicians and scientists and caregivers and social workers. And this point of view of the person who has it was totally missing from all the literature. She said fiction allows us to walk inside someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing, you know, it, it really is true. And she went with the studio that she did because they promised to keep the story from Alice's point of view. I am not suffering. I am struggling. Struggling to be a part of things, to stay connected to who I once was. These three authors were all very inspiring, too, at how they all just persevered. Lisa Genova, self-publishing her novel, having copies of it in the trunk of her car. (laughs) The other thing that they all talked about is that writing is a solitary uh, endeavor, Mm -hmm. and that making a movie is so collaborative, and it's so very different. And they all talked about how, you know, what an adjustment is, but also how rich it is to be able to collaborate on something that they wrote all by themselves in the dead of night in the dark of their of their offices. You know who said that too is Jojo Moyes, mm-hmm. who did the book and the screenplay for Me Before yeah, You. exactly. Mark Harris said, any adaptation of a book is both an act of compression and omission. And I thought, that's where we need to end. That if you're taking a book to film, that is the challenge of what do you compress and what do you omit to make and not, and not have the story lose something. I'll tell one good Academy Award story involving writers, which is that there, you don't know until you get there that there are actually two red carpets. There's a celebrity red carpet, and there's a regular red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I went with my husband, who was nominated a couple of years ago for writing, and you get to like pass, you know, more security than you've ever seen in your life, right? And and then they say, oh, which red carpet are you? And uh, my husband says, well, I'm a nominee. And uh, they said, for what? And he said, <laughs> writing. They said, just go on the regular. I feel that stuck through. Good go. Um, at one point, because of accordions, and at one point we're like all squished together, and and James Brown, the the producer who did Still Alice, uh, he's on the side of me, but on this side, I'm like, my shoulder is touching Kate Blanchett's okay. shoulder. <laughs> So it was a great panel. It was an hour, well-spent hour that just flew by. And, um, we'll and we're posting some video excerpts on yay, our website, yes. screenthoughts.net. Yes, yeah, so look at O'Toole's video section and we'll let you know when it goes up. 